Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. Today, we're happy to welcome back to our program Maddie Dykewall, the author of Influence, How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for the Better. Maddie, welcome back to the program. It's great to be here. And thank you for joining us again. Thank you. It's so great to be here again. Thank you. You know, we had a great conversation talking about some of the early aspects of your book. I'd like to focus on the middle chapters of your book where it focuses on the workplace, the marketplace, at home, and in the family. If you could, could you take us through some of the key themes of each of those chapters and why they're important in regards to how women influence our economy? Okay, for sure. Uh, Let me begin by saying that, you know, my whole point of view is that women are going to be the biggest change agent for the 21st century. And it's not just about the facts and figures. It's what those facts and figures add up to. And what we see in front of us is that we see a critical mass of women gaining economic independence. And as a result, we've reached a tipping point where we're starting to see women's brand of influence and it's affecting the workplace, the family, politics and leadership, you know, every single aspect of our world. So that's the context that I'm really thinking about this in. Uh, So to try to answer your question, (laughs) which is a big question, I think that women have really begun to influence the workplace pretty dramatically and I see it going along two different aspects. One aspect is that the workplace has been a really hard place for women to be. I mean, Mm. the rules that were set up were set up in a time when men were the dominant workers, and most of these men were sort of white men Mm -hmm. who had women, their wives generally, Mm -hmm. at home taking care of their family and Mm -hmm. the house. And so they had the flexibility and the freedom to put in long hours and to make work their number one priority. But today what you're seeing is it's not just women, but men as well, uh, that they're having to combine family and work in order to successfully be economically you know, just to have a great economic future for their family. And again, it's not just women, it's men as well. So the way the workplace is set up now is awfully rigid and it's not really very effective for women. As a result, we've seen many women with incredible talents and skills leave the corporate workplace and start their own companies. In fact, during the recession, twice as many new businesses were started by women as men. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. Wow. And many of those businesses have been very successful. While corporate entities have been laying off people, small businesses owned by women have been hiring people. Mm -hmm. So you could say that women-owned businesses have been the engine that has helped end the recession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you find that men are responding to this message of of influence and how women are really in, in, in increasing their influence? Do you find that men are open to it or, or do you find that they're resistant? I think most men are pretty open to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the important thing to keep in mind is it's not that women want to replace men mm-hmm. in their positions of power. Women want to stand side by side with men mm-hmm. and to work together to, as corny as it may sound, make the world a better place. And mm-hmm. of all the women I interviewed for my book, I mean, I heard that over and over again. And by the way, I interviewed a lot of men too. And Mm -hmm. most Mm -hmm. of the men that I interviewed 
did not feel at all intimidated by what was going on. Instead, they welcomed it because they saw it in their own life with their own wife. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly, over the last decade, in mm -hmm. fact, it's not just the last decade, the last three decades, we've seen an interesting thing happen in terms of money. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of income, if you adjust for inflation, men's income has remained rather flat, mm -hmm. but women's income has increased exponentially. And the only families that have seen any rise in their income have been when both the husband and the wife are working. So we see that dual income family, you know, like it or not, that's, that's the direction we're going. And men realize, most men realize, mm -hmm. that they got to work with their wives. They've got to stand side by side to both make their family successful and make their economic life successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you look at the, um, the marketplace, have you seen the, we talked about the marketers in our previous interview, we talked a little bit about marketing, but have you found that the, the folks who are making the marketing decisions are starting to understand this significant shift in what's going on with women and influence and how they need to adjust their marketing? Some have. I mean, you know, you see different companies having different experiences around it. I mean, some companies figure, you know what, I can just take this women's market for granted or just replace a man's face with a woman's face or do the sort of traditional pink marketing. But, you know, I don't think that stuff works anymore. I think that most companies who are going to do well in the 21st century, especially companies in the world of financial services, uh, automobile companies, electronics and technology, they realize that more than half of their marketplace are women and that looking into the future, the economic engine of their future may in fact be women. So the first step, of course, is for them to learn that women aren't all the same. I mm -hmm. mean, they come in all different sizes and shapes and mm -hmm. we need to delve down and realize it's not a homogenous mm -hmm. marketplace like, you know, the Latina market or the African-American market. Mm -hmm. Women are half the population. Mm -hmm. So they all look differently. And I would say the smart companies, they're hiring women in senior executive positions to help bring the organization up to speed pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a great first step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in, your, in your home chapter, you talk about the future of men and the rise and stumble of the male breadwinner. <laughs> I, I, I chuckled be, because, you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of adjustments that um, men need to make. And I don't want to make the wrong assumption about that, but um, as, my, as my wife sometimes will say, she'll, she'll say I'm chauvinistic. And I'll <laughs> go, I, I don't think I am. And she says, but just by nature, you're chauvinistic. Um, and I think I'm a fair pretty balanced guy because I have a mother who raised me along with four older sisters. So, um, you know, I know how to mind my manners. But let's <laughs> talk about the, the rise and stumble of the male breadwinner. And what are some of the key things that uh, we want to take away from this chapter? Okay. Well, keep in mind, women have done better financially and in terms of holding on to their jobs during the recession than men. In fact, many people, and I'm sure you've seen it in other places, have referred to this recession as a man session. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy because, uh, and it has a lot to do with the kind of industries that men dominate, construction, manufacturing, whereas women dominate industries that require more 
education. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, today women are graduating from college in higher numbers than men. 59% uh, of all college graduates last year were mm -hmm. women. And what's so interesting to me is graduating from graduate school, like medical degrees and law degrees, women are also graduating for the very first time ever in higher numbers. In fact, just to put that into a big picture, last year in high schools, 73% of all high school valedictorians were women. Mm. So women have recognized that the new economy is in fact a knowledge economy and they've prepared themselves pretty effectively for that better than men have done. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, the second important thing to keep in mind, and I think this is good news for women and for men, is that gender no longer defines our role in society. I mean, the role of breadwinner and breadmaker used to be just based on your gender, not on your talents, your skills, or even your desires. Um, not so anymore. I mean, I've talked to, over the last several years, many men who've said to me, this is fantastic news for me. It gives me the freedom and flexibility to be able to pursue those things that I'm interested in. Let me give you an example that's in my book. Mm -hmm. uh, for my book, we held discussion groups all over the country and with men as well as with women. And the men's groups in many ways were the more interesting ones. Uh, and in the groups, we had men who were in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even in their 70s. And we would be talking about this issue. In the group we held in San Francisco, which is my hometown, there was a young man in his 20s who stood up and he said, you know, I'm a teacher, I love children, I hope I marry a woman who's very successful so I can be the stay-at-home parent. That's my dream. And the young men in the group, in their 20s, 30s, even in their 40s, were all nodding. Yeah, I can relate to that. I really get it. But the men in their 50s and 60s and 70s, they looked at him like he was an alien. I mean, the whole idea seemed so abhorrent to them. They just could not get their hands around it because they get their identity almost completely from their career, from their work. So times are changing and men are stepping up to the plate and embracing that change. So is, is that the sea change for men? I think it is. I mean, the whole idea, that's part of it anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sea change is large because, mm -hmm. you know, now that women are economically independent, they don't necessarily have to get married. They get married because they choose to get married. And that is a huge difference, too. That is. That is. Uh, when you feel that you're marrying for love, not because society dictates that, oh, you know, it's your, at your particular age, you have to get married and have children. Yeah, it's certainly mixing up the pot a lot differently than it's ever been mixed before. And um, let's talk about some of your heroes. Um, throughout your, your career, who are some of your heroes who have uh, demonstrated uh, leadership but, but also have set the stage to establish who you are <laughs> and, and, and prompted you to uh, write this great book on influence? Well. I have so many women that I really admire, but I had the great fortune for my book to interview some of them, which was probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Uh, one of the women that I interviewed that I thought was incredible was Jody Williams. I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she is one of the 12 women, the only 12 women ever to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. And she's American, and she's mm -hmm. an incredible woman. She has such energy and such enthusiasm for changing things. Uh, what she did is she got 
received her Nobel Peace Prize for organizing more than 1,300 NGOs, uh, getting them to band together mm -hmm. to lobby mm -hmm. for the Landmine Ban Treaty, which completely banned landmines, which right. is incredible. Right. And she knew her, that for the, doing this, she was going to get the Nobel Peace Prize. She got it. But for her, it was just the beginning, not the end of her work and her chance to use her influence. Uh, what she did is she banded together with seven of the other living female Nobel Peace Prize winners to create the Women's Nobel Initiative. Oh. And this Nobel Initiative works very hard for world peace all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's pretty incredible. They raise funds and do what they can in places like Iran and in, in countries like Guatemala. I mean, they oh, do wow. incredible work. Mm -hmm. So what I find amazing is she used her Nobel Peace Prize as sort of a platform to leverage herself into doing even better work. Right. And what's surprising to me is that none of the men Nobel Peace Prize winners have ever done that. They've used it as a place to just sort of pat themselves on the back, not taking it any further. So she is probably one of my all-time heroes, and I was thrilled to interview her for the book. Well, you know, and that's something that um, in finding number three, we were talking about last week in regards to the study that you, that you did, and, and I'm sorry I missed talking about finding number three, but, <laughs> but it said women put the financial needs of others ahead of their own. That's right. And, or in this case, you know, she's looking at, she got a nice prize from the Nobel Peace Prize. Instead of using it for her own personal use, she used it to, to help others. And, and I guess you have several examples of, of women doing that. That's right. And uh, Jody Williams not only took her prize and the influence that came along with it, but she put her money where her mouth was. Mm -hmm. She took the money, the Nobel Peace Prize winnings, and so did all the other women. They pooled that money together and used it as the jumping off point for the Nobel Women's Initiative, which I think is just incredible. Uh, and by the way, we see it all around us. I mean, look at Wall Street. Now, we know that We've seen many articles over the last several months and mm. probably the last year that say, well, what would women have done differently if they ran Wall Street? And we still don't see lots of women running Wall Street, but we are beginning to see some women uh, create the rules and regulations that Wall Street is going to have to live by. And for instance, Elizabeth Warren, who is amazing. She has been the chief advocate for consumer finance regulations, and she's the head of TARP right now, and mm -hmm. she's done a phenomenal job of trying to put into place uh, the rules and regulations that Wall Street really ought to abide by. I mean, they shouldn't be above the law, and Elizabeth Warren has done this by not following the rules, and I think that's one of the things women do effectively, and many of the women I interviewed for my book talk about that, how they worked outside of the rules, partly because they didn't even know the rules. <laughs> mm -hmm. do, you, do you think, and that speaks to, do you think that women have a better moral center than men? Wow, that's a huge question. No, I don't. Mm -hmm. I think that they have a different moral center than mm -hmm. men. And in fact, I think that's why women and men need to work so closely together. There have been studies that have been done that tell us that when you get the best of 
diversity, mm-hmm. and that means women and men working together, you actually get better results. There is a researcher, a mathematician actually from the University of Michigan, mm-hmm. his name is Scott Page, who's done studies on this. And what he did is he took, and I talk about this in my book in mm-hmm. detail, and mm-hmm. the, and some of the um, ways it manifests in our society, right. but he t- took a group of homogenous men, very high performers, put them in one room to solve a problem. And then he took a group of sort of average people, Mm -hmm. men and women, put them in another room Mm -hmm. to solve the same problem. What he found was the average diverse group got better solutions than the high-performing, non-diverse, just male group. And the reason he gave for that was he said, you know, when you take different kinds of backgrounds, different kinds of characteristics and values, put them together in a room, creativity has a chance to really blossom. I mean, you get all different kinds of ideas rather than the same idea over and over again. And that's the beauty, that's the value of adding women into the pot and getting the talents from the pool of women that are incredible and the pool of men that are incredible. Again, men and women working side by side to create what I think of as a partnership society. And, you know, and it speaks to also in the uh, knowledge age uh, 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 age that we're in now, where communication, collaboration, uh, partnership is so, so much more important. It's interesting, Covey talked about how our accounting systems are antiquated in the sense that when you look at a balance sheet, it talks about um, equipment as assets, but people as expenses. <laughs> and um, so we really need to to change that mode of thinking that, you know, people are really the assets, you know. Yeah, I think that would really be helpful in the way the entire workforce is set up because, you know, one of the things I say in Influence is that the way the workforce is set up is really old school. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the knowledge economy. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't make a lot of sense for the way women intuitively work. I mean... If you take women and really look at what they want to get done, they want to do the best job they can, but that doesn't necessarily mean putting in 12 hours of face time. That means working as hard as they can. You know, that's a very interesting point that you just raised there. 12 hours of not work time, but face time. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, you know, I don't think... I've heard someone say that recently in regards to people putting in face time versus work time. It's quite significant. Uh, What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think that women want to be judged on what they do, not just the politics of showing up and punching the clock at the right time and showing up at a meeting that may have no value whatsoever. They want what I would think of as a meritocracy rather than the politics of, you know, going up that linear progression of, you know, one one element after the other, going up that ladder, making success the old-fashioned way. I mean, that's just that's not the way it works anymore. By the way, I don't think men see that as being valuable anymore either, mm-hmm. but it's been the way it's always worked. They know the process a little bit better than women know it, and women are very quick to say, you know what, I want to rewrite the rules. That's not the way the world works anymore. What, what advice would you give, or, and, and do you advise CEOs when it comes to the hiring of women? What advice would you give a CEO who's looking to uh, grow their business and, and they, they want to bring women into the workplace? What advice would you give them? 
Well, number one, I would say to treat them equally to men in terms of the kind of wages that they receive. I think that it's very important that we close that gender gap in terms of wages. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, it doesn't really motivate women to do their best work, and it's something that really is a remnant of the past that needs to go away. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is I think that there are some informal mentorship I use the word program very loosely that are, because they're informal, uh, that are in place in the workforce right now uh, that need to open their doors to women. I mean, there seems to be sort of this, idea, this good old boys network that seems to really give men a leg up that I think needs to somehow find a way to support women as well because we still see more men than women in leadership positions and we need to get women in those leadership positions as well so that we have a more balance, a better balance between men and women in terms of leadership. And the reason that that's so important, not just to be fair, mm -hmm. because it's nice to be fair, but it's also, again, good economic sense because when more than half of your customers are women, you need to have women in your senior executive positions so that they can understand, so that you can understand, meaning the company, how best to serve those customers. Now, you have a very interesting background is that uh, you and your husband, Ken, yes. have formed this company together. Mm -hmm. we have. And how do you, how do you balance uh, the duties in this company? <laughs> who, who does what and who takes what decision? Well, you know, we've been in business for more than 25 years, so it's something that's very fluid. It's changed. Uh, when we both started the company, we both had different interests, and we focused on those interests. What we found, and this is probably different for everyone, is that when we worked trying to do the same exact role, it was horrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. In fact, we fought all the time. It just wasn't productive for us, and it wasn't productive for other people who worked for us. But when we had unique roles in the company, we were both very productive, and we really were great role models for other people in the company. And by the way, we have a lot of women who work for us and mm -hmm. in levels, in senior levels in mm -hmm. our company. And I think we both get along with all the women and all the men that we work with. It, it's really kind of a small, happy family. <laughs> um, are you familiar with Outsell Incorporated? No, it, I don't it's, think it's, I am. it's a research company in the in the Bay Area, uh -huh. and it's a husband. It's a husband and wife team as well. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting is that Anthea Stratagos, she's the CEO. Mm -hmm. She is the CEO, and her husband, I think, is the chief operating officer. And they've been working together for a number of years. And I've often admired uh, the way that they uh, coexist together because um, sometimes trying to get my wife and I to, to work on something together, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. And, and I'm learning through this process as to understand uh, roles and, 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 and how, you know, working together with my spouses is very important. And I think we're making some headway. But what advice would you give me? You know, let me begin by saying that I would say there's no bigger supporter that I have than my mm -hmm. husband. I mean, he has, in many ways, he's been my mentor. I mean, he was in the field of aging far longer than I was. He, he really has been my mentor in many ways. He was the one who really motivated me to take a chance and write this book. Uh, so I appreciate everything about him. Uh, I would also say that I'm probably his biggest supporter. Okay. So mm -hmm. that would be my first bit of advice, mm -hmm. to realize that it's a win for both of you to be successful. Right. Uh, we have to continuously remind ourselves of that, but 
We do, and mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Every time he wins, it's such a win for me, and mm-hmm. I think he realizes the same thing. Uh, right. Give each other space to grow and to right. learn and to communicate. Don't necessarily expect that you're going to agree on everything. I would think that that's really right. important, too. It's okay right. to disagree, but that doesn't have to turn into World War III. Exactly, exactly. I have to say that Deb is my, my biggest supporter uh, in anything that I do. And uh, Prabhi is uh, my best uh, uh, advisor as well. Her advice is always spot on. Well, it's important. You know, I think today when you think about what is marriage, and I think about this a lot because no longer is marriage something that's an economic need. It's Mm -hmm. something that you do because you really want to. And, you know, let's be honest about it. You know, the idea of having children and procreating is only part of the package. It's creating a partnership and creating a lifelong. I mean, we've been married for 27 years. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. (laughs) The only way you can make something like that work is to continuously reinvent that relationship. And we do do that pretty effectively. Mm -hmm. I mean, just as an example, every single year on our anniversary, and I talk about this in my book, uh, we get remarried and we go to a different location and we Mm -hmm. get married by a different religious entity. Oh, wow. (laughs) And the thing that makes it so so important is not that we, you know, it's a great time to take a vacation, frankly, but right. that's not the important thing. The important thing is that we sit down and we sort of debrief our year. Mm-hmm. We talk about what went right, what went right. wrong, and yeah. what our goals are for the next year together, right. individually, and mm-hmm. as a family. Mm-hmm. And it's very successful. Now, you have three children, correct? I actually have two. Oh, two, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I'd like to have a third, but I didn't have time. A uh, son and a daughter? I do have a son and a daughter. And how old is your daughter? My daughter is 23. She's 23. And she's at a very interesting age. What advice do you give her as uh, she's pursuing her career? Well, yes, that, that's a good question. Actually, she recently graduated USC just about mm-hmm. a year ago, and she was lucky enough to be one of the people who found a job during the recession. She started out in social media at a jean company in mm-hmm. Los Angeles because okay. that's what she wanted to do. I had advised her not to take the job, and she quickly realized that it wasn't a good fit for her because I realized, you know, she's not a kind of person to sit behind mm. a computer all day. And now she's on her second job and mm-hmm. loves it. She's working for an event planning company mm-hmm. doing production mm-hmm. and loves it, loves it, loves it. What I advise her and any other young person, male or female, to do is to follow your passions. Yeah. I mean, the money will follow if you find something you really love and you're really good at. And to continuously learn, grow, Go back to school when you need to. I mean, the whole idea is you've got to have a career that lasts a lifetime. And think of yourself as sort of a free agent and you're working for a company for a while. But get what you can and give what you can to that company. Now, your, your book hit, hits upon many threads and themes, very important threads and themes. Um, what is the next step? Are you planning to uh, have a conference Uh, about this topic because this is something that really needs to be shared uh, with the whole world and um, a book is just one means of getting that message out. Well, I agree with you completely, and I do think of it as step number one. Uh, Step number two, uh, we're already in talks with PBS. We're hoping to do a PBS special on this subject. Uh, We're also trying to do another study to delve deeper into this subject about how women and men, their communication styles may be different, uh, what they're looking for different in terms of 
their relationship with money. So that's point number three. Two and point number three is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I really want to get involved with taking this message to the developing world, and I've already been approached by someone who has asked me to do teaching circles in the developing world, taking this kind of information that's in influence and making it available to women who maybe can't read and maybe aren't really aware of what their opportunities could be if they open their mind and their heart to it. Right. Well, that sounds very, very, very exciting. Um, and so your, your next study, as you indicated, uh, is going to go a little bit deeper. We want to um, dive deeper. And, you know, we want to go both deeper and wider mm-hmm, and get mm-hmm. a much stronger picture of, you know, what women want in terms of their relationship with money mm-hmm. and, and with their partners as well. You know, not just women as individuals, but women as part of family units. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I understand the need to go international, but right here in the United States, there seems to be a great need for your message as well. I totally um, agree. I hope so. <laughs> because we're seeing that our economy is not uh, going, getting back as strong as we would like for it to be. Um, but it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen with small corporations. And the fact is, is that more women are starting more smaller corporations. Are you working with any uh, state agencies or local agencies um, to inspire them with this message? I would love the opportunity to do something like that. And, you know, the last chapter in my book, I talk about how each and every individual can get started right now doing things to use their influence. And by the way, the first step, which I think is such an important step, is to provide themselves with financial security. And that means learning the basics about money and your relationship with money. And there's lots of resources and communities to help you do that. Well, Maddie, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for coming in to really chat with about your book, which is titled Influence, How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for Better, for the Better. I want to thank you. Thank you, too. It's been a pleasure talking to you. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great day.